The COVID-19 pandemic showed us how a microscopic virus could upend our lives. There is so much out there that we need to understand. But for every threat, there are heroes working at the edges of science and policy to protect us. I'm Dr. Abdul El Sayed, former Detroit Health Director and host of Crooked Media's America Dissected. Every episode, I talk to the doctors, scientists, culture makers, and policy leaders who are working out new ways to protect us against our biggest threats. New episodes of America Dissected every Tuesday. Listen on Odyssey, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's happening in Medicaid right now? is unprecedented. All right, tonight a lot of Americans are just hours from losing their Medicaid benefits. For three years, the federal government gave states extra money to keep people on the Medicaid rolls during COVID. Now... We are in the middle of something called the Medicaid unwinding. States will start looking at their Medicaid rosters and redetermining whether or not people should still stay covered. States are rushing to review the eligibility of more than 90 million people enrolled in the public health insurance program for low-income and disabled Americans. The government estimates 15 million people will lose their health benefits in the next few months. Today, we check in on the biggest change to Medicaid since the Affordable Care Act and get an up-close look at what it's like to fall through the unwinding cracks. From the studio at the Leonard Davis Institute at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is trade-offs. To get a clear and nuanced picture of what's been happening with the Medicaid unwinding so far, we called up one of our favorite Medicaid obsessives. Health insurance is the thing that gets me up in the morning. I realize how weird that sounds. Adriana McIntyre is an assistant professor of health policy and politics at the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and a member of the Tradeoffs Advisory Board. To Adriana, health coverage in America boils down to two questions. Getting people covered and then keeping them covered. I think that a lot of research up to this point has focused on that first part. I'm really interested in how do we keep people covered once we have them insured. This is what makes Adriana the perfect person to talk to about the steps states are and are not taking to keep people insured during the unwinding, whether by staying on Medicaid, switching to Obamacare, or getting coverage through work. I think that this moment is both incredibly unprecedented and also entirely ordinary. Prior to the public health emergency, people who were on Medicaid did have to recertify their eligibility every year. But we didn't really focus on it academically as policymakers. And so this is one of the first times that we're really getting a look under the hood at this process. So let's dive under that hood, Adriana. As of June 27th, KFF says more than 1.5 million people have lost their Medicaid. That's since April, and only half of the states are reporting their data. So here's my question. About 70% of those 1.5 million people lost coverage due to what are called procedural reasons. Adriana, can, can you define procedural reasons for us, please? Procedural terminations happen when the state can't determine for sure whether or not a person is still eligible for Medicaid. And oftentimes this happens because the state wasn't able to get a hold of the enrollee to get information they need, like that person's income. So if a person loses coverage for procedural reasons, 
they might still be eligible. They might not. All we know is that there was some kind of paperwork problem that the state had. Yes. Maybe the paperwork didn't get to them. Maybe it's not in a language that they're familiar with. And there's going to be a real human cost to this because are are people going to show up for a medical appointment thinking that they have insurance and find out that actually they don't have coverage? And this is a problem whether you legitimately qualify for Medicaid or even if, for example, you now make too much money and are no longer eligible. Right. It's a really big problem if people lose Medicaid benefits that they still qualify for. But if somebody is determined ineligible, that's not the end of the story for them either. We have to make sure that they get into some new source of coverage before they need it. So we've got these big scary numbers, right? 1.5 million people losing coverage, 70% for procedural reasons, unknown reasons. Are things this bad everywhere, Adriana? Or as is often the case with Medicaid, does the story look different state by state? This really does vary a lot by state. In some states, I think the scary headlines track really closely with what we're seeing. In some other states, things maybe don't look quite as bad. And then there are states where we just don't have enough data yet to say how things are playing out on the ground. Got it. So let's zoom out to a few different states so we can kind of better understand what these differences actually look like. And let's start with a state where the spooky headlines are, in fact, warranted, where things are looking bad. Where's a state like that? So Florida is one of the states that I am particularly concerned about. So far, they've terminated coverage for about 300,000 people, which is more than twice as many as the next highest state. Florida is one of the states that hasn't expanded Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act, which means that a lot of people losing coverage may not have access to other sources of affordable health insurance. In the first month in particular, we saw a really high rate of those procedural terminations in Florida. Florida is also one of only two states that has not taken advantage of any of the flexibilities that CMS has given to states to try to make this process more seamless. CMS, of course, is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, which oversees the Medicaid program for the federal government. So if Florida is an example of a state that has you legitimately concerned, what's a state where things are going better? So I would take us to Rhode Island with the caveat that it's one of the states that didn't start terminating people's coverage until June. But Rhode Island is a state that's always been really good at automatically determining people's eligibility and basically keeping them enrolled in the program without bothering them. And so only about a quarter of people who are up for renewal had their coverage terminated, and about half of those were for procedural reasons. So it seems like fewer people are slipping through the cracks in Rhode Island. So as you give us this tour kind of up and down the coast from Florida to Rhode Island, it is very clear how this is a state by state story. At the same time, I'm curious, are we seeing any states sort of pause or in real time try to shift what they're doing to minimize the damage being done? So Idaho saw a rate of procedural terminations that was higher than they expected And they decided to pause those procedural terminations until they could figure out what was going on. Iowa is another state that they didn't exactly pause, but they have implemented what they call safety checks to ensure that they aren't 
acting too hastily to close people who may have complied with everything that they needed to do from a paperwork standpoint. And Adriana, what about the federal government here, CMS? Are, are they getting involved at all? CMS has authority from Congress to pause procedural terminations if they think that a state isn't being responsible. We haven't seen CMS take steps yet, although we have seen Secretary Becerra put out a letter basically imploring states to slow down if their procedural termination rate is high and take advantage of the flexibilities available to them to try to make this process less onerous. Are you surprised that there are not more adjustments being made at the state level in real time? Yes and no. Seeing these numbers, my instinct is that states should stop, reevaluate, make changes, and then proceed. At the same time, it's maybe not as easy as it sounds, because I think that a lot of the changes can take weeks or months to implement. You know, the the data infrastructure piece of this, it's not sexy, but it's really, really important. And the states might just feel like they don't have enough time to get those changes done and still get the redeterminations done on the timeline that they've set out for themselves. A lot of the focus, Adriana, during the unwinding has been on people losing Medicaid who are still eligible. But as you said earlier, there are also a lot of people who no longer qualify for Medicaid but could get an Obamacare plan. I know you've done a lot of work in your career on how hard it's been historically to do that. Do we have any data on how those transitions are going right now? We don't have as much data as I would like, although you could say that about a lot of things. Um, Pretty much every researcher I've ever talked to in my entire life. Yes, yes. Um, There's one state that I've seen publish this data, and that's Pennsylvania. They found that about 6% of people who left their Medicaid program took up coverage with the state's insurance marketplace. CMS has put out a little bit of data suggesting just in general that there's been more shopping on healthcare.gov in states that have started unwinding, but I would love to see more granular data on that. So final question, we've still got another 11 months for states to finish reviewing eligibility of tens of millions of people. As you sit here in June... What questions, Adriana, are on your mind as you look ahead to the rest of this unwinding process? I'm really curious, now that we have a clearer picture of how different states conduct redeterminations, will we try to set better standards so that the low-performing states have to become higher-performing states? Another thing that I've had in my mind for a little bit is... We're getting this data right now because it's required by law for states to publish this until April of 2024. Will we continue to see states publish this data so that we continue to have transparency and insight into these processes so that we can see where people are slipping through the cracks? We can't fix cracks that we can't see. Adriana, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us on Trade-Offs. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. When we come back, we travel to the Midwest to see how the unwinding is playing out on the ground in Ohio. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. 
From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. I'm Shankar Vedantam, here to tell you about a great mystery. That mystery is you. As the host of a podcast called Hidden Brain, I explore big questions about what it means to be human. Questions like, where do our emotions come from? Why do so many of us feel overwhelmed by modern life? How can we better understand the people around us? Discover your hidden brain. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. As we heard from Adriana McIntyre, the story of Medicaid unwinding is really 51 stories, with each state and Washington, D.C. doing things a little bit differently. And she gave us a high-level look at how things are going in a few states. But we wanted to zoom in even deeper, so we called up another friend of the pod. I'm Farah Yusri, and I'm the managing editor of Side Effects Public Media. We asked Farah to help us understand what this looks like for real people on the ground in a single state. I really wanted to talk to someone who was at risk of falling through the cracks, losing their Medicaid, even though they still qualified. But I also wanted to hear from people on the other side, too. You know, the Medicaid workers who are spending their days processing all these cases. Farah found those people in the Buckeye State. According to KFF, nearly 100,000 people in Ohio have already been kicked off Medicaid this year, three out of every four for procedural reasons. Farah picks up the story from here. Bobby Summers cuts an impressive figure. He's 42, well-built with a deep tan from years of doing physical jobs like logging and farm work. I used to drive down the road and think, like, what would my dream job be? And I would picture, like, me pulling into a farm or something and uh, working with a good close group of guys and just doing different stuff. But on this sunny, warm May Day, Bobby is terrified. He arrives at Southeast Healthcare, a community health center in Columbus, clutching a letter in his calloused hands. The letter is from the state, and it says that he will lose his Medicaid in less than three weeks. Losing his health insurance is not an option, Bobby says. I take um, uh, some mental health antidepressant medication, and uh, the last time I went without it, uh, they stopped it for um, about 10 days, and I just fell apart. On top of his depression, Bobby takes medication for opioid addiction, something that landed him in prison for eight years. He was released in late 2021 into a world he hardly recognized. He had never seen an iPhone. He didn't know what an app was and couldn't figure out how to pay for parking. It's been a roller coaster, you know, but I've never stopped my path, you know. Everything else around me has gone up and down and sideways, but, you know. One surprising constant, Medicaid. Bobby signed up as soon as he left prison, and thanks to the special pandemic rules preventing states from kicking people off, He's taking care of himself. He's reliably gotten his depression and addiction meds. He's consistently come into the clinic for mental health appointments. I became who I am today because of it. You know, I would have been dead otherwise. 
But on this May morning, Bobby feels like his back is against the wall. On the same day he got his Medicaid news, he was also laid off from a farm job. Without Medicaid, there was no way Bobby could afford his medications, which can cost up to $1,200 a month. That's why he's come here. He's at the health center a full hour early for his appointment with Catherine Bamberger. First thing, before we talk about anything, so I'm going to ask you to sign this. Catherine's job is to help people like Bobby figure out their health insurance. Bobby sits across a circular table from Catherine and hands her the eight-page, neatly folded letter from the state Medicaid office. Bobby is nervous but attentive, crossing his legs and sitting up straight to answer Catherine's questions. Notice of action. Okay. Catherine raises both eyebrows as she goes through the letter. She is alarmed. The state claims Bobby failed to send in paperwork to prove he makes less than the state's Medicaid cutoff limit, about $1,600 a month. Bobby tells her he sent it. So Catherine dials a number on her phone. This call may be recorded for auditing, quality, and training purposes. She calls the Ohio Jobs and Family Services Office, which manages Medicaid. How can I help you? Hi, um, my name is Catherine uh, Bamberger. I'm a health insurance navigator, and I have Medicaid consumer here, Robert Summers. She nods to Bobby, encouraging him to tell the caseworker on the phone what happened. I received that paperwork a couple months ago, and I filled it all out and mailed it back in, but I don't know if you guys did, haven't received it or, or what. It's all no, shit. Oh, go I ahead. didn't get it. It's, it's been probably two months now since I mailed it. Okay. Well, it doesn't look like the county has received it. The, the caseworker explains Bobby's best option is to create an online account and upload all of his documents again. Uh, my prescriptions are 28 days at a time. So in 28 days from today, would I be able to have my prescriptions filled if I get this stuff turned in today? If you get it turned in, they should have it working. You should be fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. After 18 minutes, the call ends. Okay. Thank you very much. I sure appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You You too. Bye-bye. Catherine jumps into action. She helps Bobby create that online account. They upload his tax returns, his proof of income, and email them directly to his caseworker. By the time Bobby stands up to leave, he's been at the clinic for two hours. I mean, I couldn't imagine, like, the guys and girls that that don't have somebody like you to help them do this. I would not be able to figure all this out. Bobby walks out of Catherine's office full of emotions, thankful for Catherine's help, angry at Medicaid for making him jump through so many hoops, and scared that he won't have insurance to help him cover his meds the next time he goes to the pharmacy. You know, like, basically my life hinges on it, so... Without it, um, I have a really hard time. and I, I don't want to think about feeling like that again. As Ohio grapples with this unprecedented task, nearly 100,000 people have already lost their coverage, even though some of those people are still eligible for Medicaid. Jewel Potts is the executive director of the Ohio Jobs and Family Services Directors Association, which represents the state's 88 Medicaid offices. We've never seen anything like this. Jewel says leading up to the unwinding, counties struggle to staff up, 
some of them staring at 20% vacancy rates. And if they've got a 20% vacancy, I'd put money on it. At least 20 to 30% of the staff that they have are newer. Jules says so far, things are going better than he expected. Half of people's coverage has been renewed automatically, thanks to updates to Ohio's data systems, and nearly 25,000 people who now make too much for Medicaid have been offered help finding affordable private insurance. All told, counties are getting through 96% of cases each month, according to state officials. But Jules says those unfinished cases could build up month after month. And without enough caseworkers, delays happen and things get missed. You know, the shopping day after Thanksgiving, you know, you're going to wait in long lines because they don't have the staff to handle that. That's what we are looking at is around Black Friday, but it's going to last 12 months. Hey, this is Mrs. Gowder at Job and Family Service. Um, I believe you called just a moment. Cindy Gowder has been working at the Medicaid office in Greene County, Ohio, for two decades. The message was a little garbled. I couldn't make out. Uh, what was your social? She knows how important her job is, especially right now. She says her office has luckily avoided major staffing shortages. Still, she's had to work overtime almost every other Saturday the past two months to get through all the cases. She says a straightforward case typically takes her around 20 minutes, but oftentimes things get tricky. Because it's a complicated system. You know, there's days that I'm just like, what are you doing to this computer? I talk to my computer quite often, not always nicely. Cindy spends a lot of her time tracking people down. First, she sends a renewal packet to the last address she has on file for someone. But many of those packets never make it back, or if they do, they end up back in Cindy's cubicle, marked Return to Sender. Maybe they've moved and not reported that. Then we've got that renewal packet that we know didn't get to them. When that happens, Cindy turns to the phone. She tries a client with some missing paperwork. Okay. Well, that went straight to voicemail. So my thought is that it probably isn't a good number for her anymore. So, tried another number before. Yeah, and the other number was not a working number. So that's good. Ohio has spent the last 18 months reaching out to people with Medicaid to get them to update their contact information. Flyers, text messages, social media posts. They've also worked with community organizations like food banks to spread the word. Despite all that, Cindy and her co-workers are having a hard time finding people. And Cindy's job is more than just Medicaid. She helps people looking for housing, food, and cash assistance, too. Some days are a little more difficult than others. Sometimes I feel like I just chase my tail all day. Cindy gets it. People are struggling with jobs, family, just surviving. Responding to government calls and emails falls to the back of the line. That's why when Cindy does get a hold of a client, she makes sure to see their case through. She remembers one woman who had just been diagnosed with cancer who called about her Medicaid. She started to cry when I told her. I said, Medicaid's approved. You give her a billing number. You can call, make a doctor's appointment. Cindy sighs. She says calls like that are hard to come by this summer. I got my own window into Cindy's world of missed calls while reporting this story. After meeting Bobby in May, I struggled to reach him right before his Medicaid was set to end. 
So I called Catherine, the insurance navigator. Catherine pulled up his account on her laptop to check his coverage status. He does not have Medicaid. Ended yesterday. Really? Yeah. Oh. We updated all that stuff. Wow. Now what? I'm very disappointed. We put a lot of work into this. We attached his stuff. Um, man. I reached out to the Medicaid office. Turns out it took county officials 20 days to review Bobby's case because of the backlog. After they finally reviewed his documents, they re-enrolled Bobby immediately. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Bobby. How are you? I'm doing okay. How are you doing? I caught up with Bobby. He was on his way from a job interview at a specialty doors factory. He told me between losing his job and going through his Medicaid off-again, on-again process, it's taken a toll. Yeah, this has been the hardest thing that, that I think's ever happened to me, really. Even harder, like, mentally than prison. He says he's thrilled to have his Medicaid coverage back, that he won't have to choose between groceries and medications for now. He also knows some people won't be as lucky. Side effects public media's far usury. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. Economist Amy Finkelstein has studied America's health insurance system for more than 20 years. In a new book, she says it's finally time to tear the whole thing down. In some sense, I think the worst and the best thing you could say about our book is, duh. How Amy reached this turning point and her surprisingly simple solution to our incredibly complicated health insurance problems. Next time on Tradeoffs. Thanks for listening to Tradeoffs. If you've just discovered us, remember to subscribe to the feed so you never miss an episode. Subscribing is free and easy on whichever podcasting app you use, NPR One, Spotify, YouTube, anywhere you listen. The Tradeoffs team is producers Ryan Levy and Alex Olgan, editor Kate Cahan, executive director Jessica Silverman, audience engagement lead Shannon Crane, research reporter Soleil Shah, production engineer Cedric Wilson, sound designer Andrew Perella, executive editor Dan Gorenstein, and senior producer Leslie Walker. The Tradeoffs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman, with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Thanks to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Michael Richards, Christina Modi, and Zoe Blumenfeld. Our media partner is SideFX Public Media, based at WFYI. Tradeoffs is supported by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, Arnold Ventures, West Health, the Gordon and Betty Moore Foundation, the Scan Foundation, the Sosose Foundation, the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics at the University of Pennsylvania, California Healthcare Foundation, and the National Institute for Healthcare Management Foundation. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of trade-off staff, advisors, or funders. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? 
Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.